All right, we're going to jump right in. We've been uh, talking about a series uh, started last week uh, called Focus. And, uh, you know, most of us have been around cameras and <clears throat> different, uh, different things that focus. Uh, we understand glass, I wear glasses, and you need sometimes to focus. Um, but I think sometimes the simplest of definitions, um, some, it kind of eludes us at times. Because it is simple, we can sometimes meet, uh, miss the impact of it. So I just want to kind of jump into focus. I'm going to get into this. Uh, I won't take long, I promise, but I want to get something, into something very specific, especially with the season that we're in right now, COVID and everything that's happening uh, in our country. Uh, but just uh, defining uh, focus seems like it would be a simple thing. And here's, the, here's what ex- experts say about focus. They call it the act of concentrating your interest or activity on something. So like Doug, we kind of know that. But there's an important insight uh, hiding in the definition. If you're not careful, you'll miss it. And that's this. In order to concentrate on one thing, you must, by default, ignore many other things. Thank you, sweetie. So to, to focus on something, you know, you know this with a camera, <clears throat> to focus on something, you actually have to unfocus everything else. If you want the foreground in focus, the background will be out of focus uh, on a camera and vice versa. Um, I wear progressive lenses, and, and sometimes that gets me in trouble. <laughs> One of the things that happens is everything on the outside edges are out of focus, right? And so it took me a long time to get used to that. And then if you, do, if you look down, like you guys all get fuzzy when I look at you like this. But I look at you like this, and it's great. But, but you know, that's kind of the way focus. And again, I'm like, why are you belaboring the point? Again, if we miss the definition of this, we miss the understanding of it, we miss, because that becomes a bedrock or a foundation, we miss what we build on top of this concept of focus, especially biblically. So here's a better way to put it. Focus can only occur when we've said yes to something or one option and no to all the other options. So think about that for a second. Um, in, in my marriage, I say yes to Karen and no to everybody else, right? <laughs> That's what we call an exclusive relationship. And your marriage should definitely be one, right? Um, <clears throat> but the whole idea is, again, it, it's not that other women aren't attractive. I always love it when single people come to me and, you know, they say, Dave, you don't understand the struggle I have. You get to have sex anytime you want to. And I'm like, you don't understand marriage, obviously. <laughs> Sorry, if, if you're younger, your parents will tell you about this. But here's, here's my point. It's like if, if you can, there are options out there, and that's what the world says. Well, you know, how can you, why would you just settle on one person? Because part of settling on that one person speaks of the love and the commitment and adoration and giving to that person. And you know when it, when it really becomes a challenge is not when you're Twitter-pated, right, like in Bambi. It's when you're in the day-to-day routine of life. It's when tough things happen. That's why there are vows involved, right, for sickness, in sickness and in health. I remember Karen waiting on me in sickness and health. I mean, not health, but (laughs) sickness. I would come, and when I had this pancreatitis thing that hit me, I would come to the breakfast table. This is literally my day for a while. I would come to the breakfast table, she would have food sitting in front of me, and I would eat some, and I would get tired. <laughs> and I would push it out of the way and lay my head on the table until I got enough strength to go back into the bedroom and lay down and take a nap till lunch, right? Now, some people do that, like young people, sometimes you do that during the summer when you're not sick. I understand that. But my day was like that. And lunch and then dinner, that was my day. Karen did everything, everything. I couldn't preach, so, you know, because that, that was... I couldn't do that. People were coming and sharing, and they were taking care of all, the, all those things. But here's the point. That in the process of all that, 
Karen didn't throw me out with the, with the bathwater, and neither did DCF. And I'm very, very thankful. But that's what focus leads to. That's what commitment leads to. That's what single-mindedness does, right? So it's helpful to understand that. It's an, it's an exclusivity option. So the point, obviously, is you can't focus on two things in once, at once. <clears throat> so you see Jesus illustrating this with money. Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and, ma- and mammon, or money. So here's what's interesting about that. When you read that scripture, you see, you, you see people fall into the deceitfulness of, of riches all the time. The Bible speaks to that a hundred different ways. And here's what we do. We always think of billionaires who are rich, right? I mean, it's not even millionaires anymore. Used to, millionaires were rich people. But that's not true anymore. Now it's the billionaires, right? It's like they have what we call stupid money. <laughs> and, and so the, the challenge that Jesus gives is if you focus on money, the security that you're desperately going after, you will actually lose. And we've watched this. I've watched this with people who are wealthy. There's never enough. Now, this is not everybody. I'm talking about someone who's godly. Um, they're content with whatever they have, and they, and they use their wealth to serve the kingdom because their focus is on the kingdom, right? Their focus is on God. So the thing that happens with money is if you try to focus on money in the exclusion of focusing on God, you lose God and money, <laughs> Right? That's what happens if you try to focus on money. But if you focus on God, what's fascinating about this, when you focus on the king and the kingdom, when you focus on the design, the intent that God had from the beginning, when you do that, what happens is you get all the other things too. So how, know that, how do I know that's true? Of course, there's a scripture. I'm going to get to it in just a second. But let me just illustrate this, this whole concept. Um, there's this company, um, well, it's actually a technology called light-filled photography. It's kind of an emerging technology. And, and there's a camera that this one company makes, this company called uh, Lytro. They call it the Lytro Ilum. And it's a really interesting camera in the sense that what this camera does, it actually can focus on everything at once. Right? So imagine being able to take a picture and then later on in your software, pick anything in the, cam- uh, in, anything in the field of view and you can focus on it. Right? So, and here's what it does. What it does is actually allows right, light rays in at different directions. It's an interesting technology. You can go look it up. But what it does, it allows all the light rays to come in at once, where it is uh, with a regular camera with the focus of the lens, it focuses all of the light into one specific area. So if you focus on an area, that's, what, that's where clarity comes, right? But in this camera, uh, uh, with the technology, you can focus later. You can change the focus. If you have the foreground focused, uh, in, in the original picture, you can change it to the background focus later on. But here's the catch. When you do that, you lose overall clarity in the image. Because <laughs> it takes so much memory to do that that you can't, modern uh, technology can't hold all the memory to focus all of those images um, at the same clarity that you can when you focus one. So even in technology, it turns out that what it's doing is, is actually all of those lenses are focusing at one point of light Anyway, so it's not even true. It's not even true in the technology that you're actually able to focus on everything at once. You can't do it. So there's, there's always a trade-off. So again, you see this, Luke 9:57. Jesus starts talking about this in a very interesting way. So I'm just going to read it to you. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, talking about Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. So Jesus would come on, remember he would come on the scene, and we always think of church and religion, you know, come to the altar, give your life to Christ. We have all these phrases that we lose, again, because we use them so much, sometimes they lose the impact. But the way Jesus would do it is he would come and he would preach the kingdom. 
He would say, he would talk about the Heavenly Father. He would talk about kingdom principles and kingdom truths. And and, and he would proclaim this. And then he would ask people to follow him. This is what he would do every single time. And he would be very specific, especially with like, you see all of his disciples, he asked them this. He said, come and follow me. And what he was saying is, let your focus go off of everything else and, and come and focus on me for a season because I want to show you something that you probably haven't seen before. And that's what focus does, right? It lets you have clarity on something that you didn't have before. So he goes on, he says, Lord, this, this man says, this disciple, potential disciple, says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. That's big talk, isn't it? Right? Remember the, um, <clears throat> on, the, on the day the law was given, when you read this in, in Exodus and, uh, and all, uh, in the Old Testament, on the day that the law was given, um, the law was proclaimed, they heard it on the mountainsides, and then in unison, the people of Israel said, we will do everything that's written, all of it. It's a bit of arrogance when you think about it, right? Because the assumption is you can, <laughs> right? And that's what usually gets us in trouble because we try to do it in our own strength and our own ability. So he comes in with this bold statement, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Well, listen to what happens. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now listen, you hear a lot about Jesus being uh, in poverty. He was not, by the way. And, and there's lots of ways we can tell that. One, the fact that he had a, a, a tunic that, that didn't have any seams in it, didn't have to be ripped. That, that was a good example because those were not cheap. That's not something that he had to come up with himself. But he had no place to lay his head. What he was saying, not that he was homeless, he's saying that he didn't have his own home that he slept in friends' homes. He slept in disciples' homes. He was part and parcel of the kingdom. And here's the thing. Everything Jesus had need of, the Father provided. But it wasn't in his own terms, right? And that's what he's trying to tell this disciple. He's saying, you say you want to follow me, but I'm about to test this and say, do you want to follow me with, in your terms or do you, do you want to follow me on my terms? So he goes on and he says, um, Verse 59, he says, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And listen to what Jesus says to him. Seems a little harsh. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Well, that's hard. That's a hard saying, right? It's actually one of the hard sayings of scripture. One, how do dead people bury dead people? (laughs) So he's not talking about, he's not talking about physically dead, is he? What he's talking about, he's saying there are people who are spiritually dead and they have something going on in their life and in their world. There's, there's a world, you know, the church even calls it that, the world, right? Well, what is that? It's, all it is is it's people in existence who have not connected to the Father. They're not connected to God. They haven't been saved. I mean, again, we use all this phraseology, but they're in, they don't have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And what's fascinating about that is just because you go to church doesn't mean you're going to naturally have a relationship with the Father. We see this, Jesus tells these stories that get caught up in church and religion and again lose their impact, but when you read these stories, they're incredible. Like the prodigal son who goes away and he comes back and in his mind, the only way he can come to the Lord, come to the Father, is with a servant mentality, right? I'll I'll be like one of your servants. And the Father says, no, that's not at all what we're going to do. We're going to, I'm going to put every, I'm going to put all the authority back on you, your robe, the ring, shoes, everything's going to be restored. You thought you spent all my inheritance There's no way because I have too much inheritance, right? But he had to come back on the father's terms. But what were the father's terms? Were they harsh, right? (laughs) That's what the son thought. I'm going to come back under a harsh father who makes me a servant. And we have people who are serving God in that way. 
because they don't understand Scripture. They don't understand the kingdom. Flip that over to his older brother who was there the whole time. Imagine being in church, being in religion, doing all the right things, serving the needs of people, giving your, 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 your money. I mean, all the religious things that you would do. He was working in the fields for his father. That's the picture. And the Bible says that he, he despised his younger brother. So here's a, here's a man who, who has everything that his father has given him. And it's somewhere, some inside, he despises the father. Something's happened and he doesn't, he doesn't even know his father, right? And he hates his brother. And we see that going on right now. People hating one another for various reasons. Christians included, right? We see it all the time. So what's the picture that, that God is bringing? Jesus is bringing this. He's saying, hey, there's a whole world out there who is going to do what the world does. They're going to be involved in all the world. The Bible says that you and I are supposed to be in the world, right? But not of the world. This is what Jesus is talking about. We, we live here. We exist here. We do the things that everybody else does as believers, right? I mean, we go to work. We make money. We do all these things. But our existence, who we are as believers, it's predicated on something else. It's, it's, it's defined for us, for lack of a better term. And where, where we run into trouble is when we think the definition that the Father gives us for our life is all about saying no, right? That's what we think. We think, if I come to God, this is what I used to think. If I come to God, I'm going to quit doing this and quit doing that and quit doing this and quit doing that. And, I, and what I was thinking is all the things I was going to have to quit were really good for me which was not true at all, right? Anybody testify? You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh yeah, you know, it's this, this, all the things that you do, I'm going to miss out if I come to God. And the truth is that in God's nature and His character and His kindness for you and I, anything He says that, that, that He says we shouldn't do, something that's off the mark, like let's just take sex before marriage. We, in our culture, that's, that's, you can't even bring that up, right? That's impossible. This is what people tell me it's impossible how in the world would you do it and they they even use it to vilify God they'll say things like what kind of God would give me this sexual urge and then not expect me to just take advantage of it and I remember I remember hearing this one time in a in a conference for young people because you know that's the excuse that a lot of young people will make I mean not young people everybody nowadays but in this instance it was young people and, and this is what the leader said and it was really profound he said you know you guys are not animals the world's told you you are, that you're just like the animals. There's no difference. Maybe you're a little bit more cognizant than some people, right? But you have the same urges. You have all the, So they defined you as wholly the same as the animal kingdom when God in Scripture defines people as totally different. They're created in His image. Animals are not, right? They breathe, animals breathe air. They can think. They have instincts. There are a lot of similarities in many ways, but we are not the same. And so what that world view has done has told young people that like dogs who just run around the neighborhood, and this was his description, he said, you're not dogs that run around the neighborhood and indiscriminately just mate with every single female because you're trying to create more dogs. He goes, you have an off button. You have a will. You have something that the animals don't have. You can think. You can reason. And you can understand that you're called to a higher purpose. So then why does God create family? Why does God say, hey, don't have sex before marriage? Because it turns out that that's actually not a good thing, right? I, I've shared this story many times before, but I'll share it again in this context. 
I, I remember when I was four or five years old, I remember my dad bought me this little Tonka truck. Some of you guys remember the Tonka made out of metal. You couldn't, you couldn't get them past the safety people now. But I would run that, I would stand behind it, with my little hands on the edge of it, and I'd run it all over the place. And I found this perfect place to push it, and I was pushing it flat. It was awesome. I was pushing it back and forth. My mom came out, freaking out, screaming, grabbed me, spanked my hiney, took me in the truck, and put me in the trailer. <laughs> right? And I was like, I don't understand. My mom's such a killjoy, right? Did she not see how much fun I was having in my truck? I, of course, know this story because my mom told me I was pushing that truck across a paved road with a hill right there. Back and forth, push it across, run after it. Push it across, run after it. This far from being squished by a real truck, right? And my mom's freaking out. Why? Well, she's not Jesus, but she was freaking out because she loved me, right? And she was trying to protect me. I didn't understand that. So she yanked me up, and in my mind, in my limited capacity, I said, boy, she's really trying to take all the fun out of life, right? And what I realize now is that (laughs) any capacity for having fun later on was going to be taken away had she not done that. And so God does the same thing. There are things that God speaks to us, things that he says no to, but we forget that God's not just the God of no, God is the God of yes, it turns out. That the law was put in place to show you that without God, you couldn't do those things anyway. So he puts a new heart inside of you. He puts something inside of you that changes your nature. You become a new creature. The Bible says a new creature or new creation. It literally, in the original language, speaks like it's a new species of humanity. So there's this world that's doing certain things, that has a certain worldview, that follows after whatever. And then there's you and I who are called to be Christians, who who have given our life to Christ, who have connected with the Father, who are on a mission because the Father has a mission. Jesus was sent on a mission. The same reason he said, I I have to go. I'm, I'm going so that the lost can be found. What does that mean? It means to reconnect us back to the Father. And what we get so often in its place is religion. Religion is all about working in the fields, but never knowing the Father. It's about taking our stuff, our inheritance, and going and blowing it on anything that we think is good, wasting it on it, what we call friends. It turned out they weren't friends at all. And then I come back, and even when I do come back to God, I come back with a mentality that says, I have to serve him because he's a hard taskmaster. And it turns out the Father wants to party. Who knew? I share this with teenagers sometimes. It's so much fun. They're like, I don't, you know, this thing about, you know, not having sex before marriage, that's a tough one, man, because, you know, you got these urges and all this. I'm, I'm like, and they're like, you know, I don't, I just don't feel like maybe God understands. <laughs> I just look at them and I'm like, you know he invented sex, right? You ever think about that? There's, a, there's an old song. It's called, Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music? Right? And this is what happens when the, a worldview that we, where we lose focus of who God really is. We don't have clarity on the God that is revealed in Scripture, the God who comes to us and says, this is my plan, this is my passion, to do good for you, to do good in you, to use you for a purpose. And when you're being used, you don't feel used, you feel celebrated, you feel full of life, you have focus, you have um, you have authority, you have meaning, there's purpose in your life. And I didn't find that until I became a believer. So Jesus is speaking this, he says in verse 61, and another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but. That just means I'm not going to follow you, right? He should have never said the first part if he was going to say the but part, right? 
but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. So here's what Jesus is saying in this passage. He's saying, uh, come and follow me. And my expectation is that when you do, you, there is no but, right? There's no alternative. It's not Jesus and anything. It's just him. It's just Jesus. It's not, it's not first let me have a good career, first let me get married, first let me have kids, first let me... No, no, no. It's, it's Jesus first and last, right? It's Jesus, no ifs, ands, and buts. Why? Why, why would God want to do that? Here's the, here's the way it works out for me. If the truth holds that you only get to focus on one thing in this life, then what should that one thing be? I focused on trying to make money, and it turns out that money got a hold of me. It just seems like almost the, the thing that you focus on is the thing that you become, right? You focus on the world, you become worldly. You focus on going after money and wealth, you, you go after it, but you end up often, what the Bible calls, caught up in the deceit of wealth and riches. But if you focus on the kingdom, this is the, this is the irony, this is the, the interesting thing about the kingdom. When you focus on the kingdom, everything you have need of is yours. Matthew 6, 25. It says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. Let's just pause there for a second. There's a lot of worry right now. A lot of worry about COVID-19. A lot of worry about riots and, and some of the brokenness that's in the world that's raising its ugly head. That's not a bad thing. Let me just say that right now. It's not a bad thing that's coming. It, God is all about exposing inequality. God's all about exposing brokenness. He has no problem with that. And part of exposing is you and I get to sort that out. And we don't always get it right. But that's part and parcel of why God calls us together as the church is to be a representation of God in the earth and to do it well. And we have not always done it well. So he goes on, he says, don't worry about your life because there's plenty to worry about. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to wear. So security, what, you know, I have to have a job, I have to work, I have to do all these things. What, my kids got to go to school, all these things. He said, don't worry about it. He said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So what's he saying? He's saying that, listen, if you, if you understand that in his design, God created something that he is sustaining, that you can trust him in the process. I've lost so many jobs in my life, lifetime. I've gotten so many jobs in my lifetime. Seems to be a pattern there, right? I remember one time a guy said, um, are you worried about losing your job? And he said, no. He said, because I, I'm, I don't have a job. He said, I'm employable. And it's a mindset. He, what he was saying is, jobs come and go, maybe. Industry shut down. We've seen that with this COVID-19 thing. And then fear rises up and wants to grab hold of us and take hold of us. Our focus comes off of God and the fact that he's our provider. Literally, it's one of the names that he gives us to describe himself. And we take our eyes off of him, and like Peter, we begin to sink in the troubled water. And God keeps reminding us, would you take your eyes off of that, off the things, and put your eyes on me? Because I'm the one who sustains all of that. So listen to what he says. He goes on. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? What control do you really have? See, if you've been a believer for a while, you've figured this out, right? Turns out that you didn't have any control at all. You just thought you did, right? It was an illusion. <laughs> can, you, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 33, jump down there. It says, but seek first. See, see, here's this first word again. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. 
In other words, where he is and what he's about. And all these things will be given to you as well. Listen to this last verse, verse 34. I'm going to close in just a second. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So first of all, there's going to be trouble. Jesus said that. There's going to be trouble in the world. He said, I, I, I came to bring a sword, actually. <laughs> right? So this, it's always this tension between truths in Scripture. You find that Jesus is the Prince of Peace who brought a sword. Right? And part of the only, the only way that we can hold that, that tension well is to keep focus on the one who gives the tension. Right? The moment we take our eyes off of him is the moment we get caught up in something else and it begins to suck our world away. So obviously there's a lot of stuff going on right now. We recognize not just with the COVID-19, but with this um, movement for equality, racial justice, social justice, economic justice. Even before that, transgender justice, right? Gender justice. I mean, it's everywhere you look. And the, the challenge is if you commented on any way, the woke police come in, they want to talk to you and tell you you don't get to talk about it this way. So I, last I checked, as a believer, I, I, I get to speak to the issues that are in this world, right? Just like anybody else. Does it make me right? Does it make me right when I speak? Because sometimes I get it wrong. So maybe I should listen even more than I speak. That's probably a good adage for all of us. But the danger is this is if we're not careful, we begin to take our focus off of Christ and what's going on in the kingdom, and we put our focus on whatever's happening right here and right now. Now, don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean that there isn't something that Jesus wants us to speak into. But here's the problem. The moment you take your eyes off of this, you get caught up in that. Whether it's money, whether it's leading your family the wrong way, whether it's letting work grab hold of your life, and, and, and dictating to you what your life is going to be about as opposed to the Lord. I've had, people ask me, we've been at this church for 10 years. And I've had people ask me before, will you ever leave? I don't know. I don't know. Because me leaving is not determined on how bad you guys treat me. <laughs> you don't, by the way. <laughs> I'm very thankful for that. You guys treat us amazingly well. We have a wonderful relationship as, as shepherds in this community, right? But... Even if you treated me bad, even if it went south really, really fast, you might kick me out, but I'm not going to leave willfully until God says you can leave. We had a couple here for years, um, Steve and, and Cindy Strickland, uh, part of our leadership team for years. And uh, I remember when we came 10 years ago and we talked to them and we said, um, you know, there were a lot of people who left when things got tough at DCF. How, how, come, you guys, how come you guys never left? I said, because God wouldn't let us. We would pray and say, pretty peace, Lord, may we leave? <laughs> and the Lord would say, no. And because they knew him and they could trust him and they knew he was good, they knew that in the moment that felt terrible, right? But God had a reason for them to stay. And part of that was to help build what we have now and to help bring restoration and health back as leaders. God used them in amazing ways. And after, you know, seven or eight years, things are going well, things are going better. You know, everything that they were praying for as, as leaders in the church was coming in the past, had great relationships. And then the Lord said, now I want you to leave. And I thought, how unfair. 
right? When everything was going terrible, they couldn't leave, and then things start going good, and they can't. Well, that's not fair. Well, that's because you're thinking about it wrong, right? It turns out that what God wanted to do with them was, was more about what he was doing in them and through them than just what he wanted to do with them, right? And so the, here's the picture. The picture is that when we trust the Lord, when we give ourselves to him, then, and our focus goes on him, that whether it's in the moment or it's a little bit later, that every single time, everything, even if it's meant for evil, the Bible says, God will make it work for good for you. But the only way we fail, the only way we miss it, is to take our eyes off him. So let me finish with this. It's just a story. I pastored in uh, Tyler, Texas um, for a while. Uh, Tyler, Texas is, is in Smith County in East Texas. And there's a, um, at the courthouse, um, there's an interesting statue. We were doing a prayer walk. And we would go through the city and we would pray. And we'd say, Lord, what are you saying about our city? And, and he would give us clues and insights. It was a really interesting thing to do. It's amazing how God does this. Walking through Tyler, and I look up at the statue, and we put a picture. This is not that statue, by the way. This is just Lady Justice in general. So most of you guys are aware of Lady Justice. She's kind of like the symbol of justice. If you notice, she's got a sword in, in one hand. That's to say that justice is final and swift. That's part of it. It's the authority. She's got a scale in the other hand, and that's to show that it's about balance, that you weigh the evidence and how you make the decisions based on that. And if you notice, she also has a blindfold on. She has a blindfold on because she has to be impartial, right? Justice has to be impartial. It can't be based on how much money you make or politics or race or gender or any other issue, right? But in Tyler, Texas, she didn't have a blindfold on. (laughs) That's really unusual. Originally, they didn't have, these statues didn't have a blindfold on until the 16th century. But the 16th century is a long time ago. We've been doing it that way for a while, right? <laughs> so it was standard. It's still there, by the way. And it still doesn't have a blindfold on. But what we discovered in praying was there was injustice going on in our city. Well, this is true of any city, of course. But what happened to be in the courthouse and in the, and some of the uh, uh, judges and we connected with some of those guys, and we weren't political in the sense that we were all about that, but we prayed, and we got connected and involved in the things that matter, and we made a difference, and we saw change come to Tyler, Texas. So nowadays, you see a very similar thing. You see justice with no blindfold on. Justice, it turns out, is a characteristic of the nature of God. Here's the thing about justice, and I'm going to leave you to think about this. Justice requires no modifiers. The moment you say social justice, you take the blindfold off off of Lady Justice. The moment you say racial justice, you take the blindfold off. Economic, gender, the moment you put something to qualify justice, you take away from the word justice. And see, this is what the enemy is doing in our midst right now. Remember Martin Luther King? Let justice roll down. Not social justice. Justice. Why? Because it's who God is. It's not what He does. It's who He is. But isn't it interesting that justice 
and mercy, we seem to think are held in tension, right? Two sides of the same coin, whatever you want to call it. But both of those are characteristics of God. So what does that mean to you and I? The enemy wants nothing more than we as a people, whether it's Americans, but especially as believers, to take our eyes off what he's doing and put our eyes on what the world is trying to accomplish. Here's what I know. No matter how much good intention is involved in the world's way of doing it, something always, something always trips them up. Trips me up. This is the lesson we see, again, with Peter. Take your eyes off of Jesus and what happens? You sink in the storm. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, if you want to, come out here with me. Right? But here's the catch. The only way that's going to work, the only way you can be in a storm and have peace, the only way you can be in this mess and have peace, the only way when fear raises its ugly head, the only way when you lose your job, the only way when the Lord says, or, or you have to re, uh, you know, relocate somewhere, when, when war comes, whatever the case may be, whatever happens, tragedy hits your life, sickness, all that comes at you. It's a raging storm. And Jesus, so many stories. Jesus said, if you built your, your house on the rock, when the storm comes, not if the storm comes, but when the storm comes, your house will not fall down. But if you build your house on anything other than the rock, When the storm comes, it will fall down. And this is what he said. Great will be the fall thereof. What was he saying? He's saying that anything in our life, I learned this 30-something years ago. I'm still learning it now because I take my eyes off Jesus sometimes and I get them focused on the wrong thing. As we go through this season as a country with with a, a, a sickness, a virus threatening our way of life, social justice with racial justice, with all the injustice, it's raising its ugly head. Jesus calls us to be the church, to be the kingdom, to be Jesus to everybody there. And Jesus was no respecter of persons. God has never been a respecter of persons. He speaks truth, whether truth is for you or for me or for anybody else. There's no such thing as your truth or my truth. There's only the truth. Because the moment you put a modifier in front of it, you begin to take away the power of it. And so I just want to remind us as we go through this, Everything that we're on, we're on a mission. God has called us to a mission, but if we lean into the king, there are going to be some tough times. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. There are going to be times when you're going to have peace, but you're going to have peace in the middle of a storm. But what you don't want, what you don't want is a storm in the middle of a storm. There are going to be times, and there is, in our house, there's peace in our home, most of the time, unless I do something stupid, right? (laughs) But there's peace there because Karen and I decided a long time ago, this will be the hallmark of our home, right? So when you come to my home, you come to peace. Not because we're working it all out and we become really, really good at that. There are skills and techniques, yes, of course. But primarily, it's because the Prince of Peace reigns there. And in your life, and in my life, and in this community, how do we change things for the better? How do we deal with injustice? The answer is you don't modify it with something else that pairs it down. You speak justice, whether justice is for you or against you. You look at it full in the face and recognize it's a characteristic of God. And He means to do well for us. He has a plan for us, is what Scripture says. His plan is to bless us. His plan is to prosper us. That's His plan.
And even when the enemy comes in and tries to make things go wrong, he says, even when that happens, even when the enemy is against you, I'll make everything work in your favor. If you love me, you're called according to my purpose. The picture is the only safe place is the eye of the storm. And the eye of the storm is Jesus. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? It's good to talk. Um, what's not good is talking points. So um, we're in the South, and there are a lot of blessings that come from being in the South. Um, we know how to be hospitable. We know how to properly say the word y'all to include everybody. That's just who we are, right? <laughs> we also have some challenges that come from being in the South. We can be shallow. We can, if we're not careful, you know, we can insult you to the, in such a subtle way that you don't even know you were insulted till you got home after the party. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? But every good thing that comes in our culture comes from Jesus, comes from the Lord. Every good thing. That is true of every single culture I have ever experienced. I've traveled all over the world. and Every culture has something from the Lord that's beautiful and powerful there. Everything. And so I just want to challenge us. As we go into this, the only thing that's going to be a blessing to us, the only thing that's going to make this work as a nation, it's still an experiment. It's 200 and something years old, but it's still an experiment. That the experiment ultimately was founded on, let's do this the way that God says do it. That's the, that was the design. Do you know average, the average um, document that, that leads a country is 17 years old? Do you know that? In America's is over 200 years old. It's not an accident. But it was the foundation ultimately has to come from the Lord. So I just want to challenge you as we go through this, when you see the upheaval, when you see the fear because of the virus and everything else, emotions going to arise. The Bible says be angry, but don't sin. So it's okay to have emotion. It's okay to be confused. It's okay to say, I don't have an answer yet. I'm still thinking and processing this through. That's okay. Don't be in such a hurry to just spout a talking point that you heard online or heard in a podcast or on the news. Don't do that. Let the mind of Christ grab hold of you because the Bible says you have that if you're a believer. You have the mind of Christ. Let the mind of Christ reign in you. When he speaks to something that you need to adjust in your life, don't make excuses about it. Just do it, right? Let God be true and every man a liar, even if that man is you. Let him speak to it. Also, don't be, able to, don't be afraid to stand when everybody around you is saying, let's go this direction. You can stand up and go, no, I'm not going to do it. Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. Do you know that? The only one. The only one in Scripture that we know of that walked on water besides Jesus. He's it. Why? He kept his eyes on him. He lost it from time to time. That's a picture of him and it's a picture of us. But I just want to challenge you. Put your eyes back on the Lord. Focus on him. And let him speak to your heart and to this situation that we're going through. Amen? Lord, we love you and we say thank you for your kindness and your goodness. God, thank you that justice will roll down like a river. Lord, God, you are the God of justice. And uh, we can rage against it all we want. But in the end, Lord, you win. And so we submit ourselves to you because you're good and you're kind and merciful. Lord, your plan for us is a good plan to bless us, Lord, to prosper us, Lord. Lord, you, you want to bless the city as we pray, as we seek the, uh, the, the safety and seek the prosperity of the city, Lord, you give it. And so, Lord, we speak out as Christians. We speak to the situation in our nation, Lord, and we say bring peace in Jesus' name, Lord. We say speak truth, Lord. 
where truth hasn't been spoken. Lord, let justice rise up. Lord, let it not be um, watered down, Lord, with something in front of it, with an adjective in front of it. But let justice, real justice, your justice be done because you, God, are the only one who will do it well. And so we put our trust in you, put our thanks in you, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.